Start to spread it podcast. Hello and welcome to the Celtics Reddit Podcast. My name is Ben Vallis, aka Brutal Gash. Thank you for joining us. Hope you're doing well. Joining me, as he often does, from New Zealand, Joe, aka No Scrooge McFly. How are you, Joe? Uh, you know what, man? Um, yeah, th- things are good. Um, but obviously, the the Kobe thing is um, Wayne. It's certainly Wayne on the minds of everyone who's a hoop fan. I think, right? Like, um, I don't know how you found it, Ben, but like. I don't know if this is the point in that you want to jump into the discussion with us, but I guess I'm, I've arrived here. But, like, um, I've got a bit of a reflection on Kobe that I want to try to do sports reporters style. But, um, but yeah, like, did you find yourself actually having emotions about it? Absolutely crushed, yeah. yeah. I, um, it's difficult to explain. I, I guess I've been lucky to not have to deal with a lot of, like, death in my life so far. Um, and so this, like, this was pretty impactful, I suppose right. I was very, very shocked and um, like definitely shed like a lot of tears. I'm not ashamed to say that. It was a very um, like emotional day and has been from that point onwards to, to hear that news. Um, what about yourself? Yeah, I did feel, I did squeeze out a couple of little tears, you know, like um, it's, it's really surprised me though, you know. Um, I think we've all got a slightly complicated relationship with the guy, but. For sure. I, what surprised me and what became obvious afterwards maybe is a better way to put it is that we really felt like we knew him. Like I was trying to explain to somebody how, what it was like. And I was like, it's kind of like maybe someone in your high school class that you sort of knew dying in a car accident or something like that. Like it's, it's kind of like that. It's like, you feel like you knew him because honestly, like you do know him to an extent. He's a public person. You certainly know his public persona. and that's lost and you know when you know when maybe a thousand people die in an earthquake you don't know them and it, it never it doesn't it's not going to hit you the same but it hits you because someone who you are familiar with has died it was such a, a huge um portion of the nba experience in like if you're around our age uh for our generation of hoops fans like he's been around since the mid 90s and that is sort of at least for me the beginning of my conscious awareness and intake of the NBA and Kobe was the youngest like star or like person or um person to look up to 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 grasp onto at that point in time and and I think whether you're a Lakers fan or a Lakers hater um, or whatever it may be, like Kobe's always meant at least that to you throughout your entire NBA watching experience. And then later in his career, um, and you know, we'll get to that in a little bit more depth in a, in a second, but he sort of flourished as not just this star NBA player, but like sort of a, a I guess, a role model, despite a lot of his flaws. Uh, obviously, for a lot of people in the league and a lot of people outside of the league who look, look up to him. Yeah, yeah I mean... Maybe this is a good time for me to sort of get into this little reflection I've got. Please. Ben. I mean, this maybe it's a bit indulgent, so forgive me, but whatever. Um, <laughs> I've got the microphone, right? Um, now's the time. Now's the time. Okay, so um, this is a little bit sports reporter style, so this probably comes off cringeworthy, but I'm going to give it a crack anyway. Um, so there's this narrative pattern that's as old as time, and you probably know it without even knowing it. It goes like this. You have creation, then there's a fall, and then there's redemption. In the case of Kobe, like young Kobe was kind of a myth that you could create in your mind. Um, Being as you've sort of referred to, like back in the mid-90s down here at the bottom of the world, you know, you kind of didn't really get to see the players play that much. The best source of highlights, and I don't remember, if you remember this, Ben, was like the, the Microsoft and Carter video entry about basketball. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes, very reliable. No streaming issues. Terrible time to laugh, but yes, it struck a chord with me. Sorry, go on. So what you'd get instead was you'd get pictures of players that you get from basketball cards or one-on-one magazine or jamming magazine, and then your kind of imagination had to do the legwork. And that's awesome for myth-making. And with Kobe, right, those photos of him, I mean, Mm. um, like, the one I'm thinking of was, was I think it was um, 
I think it was in German magazine actually, um, and there was a pull-out photo of him um, winning the dunk contest that year. Can you believe they had the 50th anniversary and an all-star game in Cleveland? Anyway, um, <laughs> anyway, they. No, I, you I know, can't believe that. You can't, Sorry. you can't believe it. But that's you know like that's that Kobe's sort of cradling that that rock between his legs, you know, and he's mm-hmm. about to dunk it. And in these photos, Kobe's kind of like he's like youth and athleticism manifests. I think one of the under understated things that people don't talk about Kobe is that, like, he just was a really handsome guy. You know, he, you know, he, he was, you know, I guess a a kind of, um, I guess a real example of of male beauty, if that's not too flowery language to use on the on the on the Celtics podcast. Yes, he was know. he was aging well as well. That was. that was not that was not leaving him. He was, you know, and I I kind of always think of as as like I think of him say reaching back to catch a lob and sort of being at full extension and it's like the picture i came up with it's kind of like kind of like you know like a crescent moon you know um mm. like how majestic moon, like, bends back on it and it's majestic and it it sticks out in the night sky you know it's even even there's heaps of other stars but that crescent moon is just it's you know it's it's quite arresting and that was kobe you know and that and that was you know i guess how the myth kind of was created and then you know we're kind of familiar with the the, the fall and the fall of Kobe isn't like that's not cryptic. We know what that was. That was mm-hmm. what happened in Colorado. And um everything is alleged and I'm happy to leave it there. But um it's what the the truth is really only known by by one person now. Um but for me it, it really didn't matter whether it was alleged or not. Like something happened there that shouldn't have. And for me, after that, like Kobe could never really be a hero again. Hmm. So he said the fall from grace, and now we're looking for redemption. And maybe for some people, they look at, you know, 81 points or the two titles, maybe that's redemption. But I've got to be honest, I don't buy it. Because when I think about Kobe and his passing and, and, and what, the images that I feel like people are celebrating, um, and at least I'm certainly finding stick out to me the most. There's sort of three of them that I've kind of really felt like do sum it up for me. There's Kobe and Gigi at that Nets game. Mm-hmm. There's Shaq when he apologized to Kobe. They had that sit-down interview. I remember that. Yeah. And then there's Kobe dragging himself to that free-throw line when, after he torn his Achilles and knocking down those those free-throws. Yeah, sure. And like I don't really think of the eighty one like I've you know it's it's not something you're unaware of in terms of Kobe's history but it's not it just doesn't jump out to me it, the titles don't really jump out to me I'm not sure that anyone cares that much that he won the title five times I'm sure like, Lakers fans do <laughs> but yeah I know I know what you're saying as far as the legacy of of Kobe yeah yes. but we don't we don't right like no. and and you know and. I don't know. In many years to come, are we going to remember whether he had four or five? You know, the, mm-hmm. the, yeah. there'll be little podcast hosts in fifty years' time that can't remember and get it wrong. You mm-hmm. know, I think. I guess the reason why I feel like those images sort of stick out to me um, is I feel like maybe as a basketball community, um, we we kind of look for signs to hope that he has been redeemed. You know that that Kobe's that the fall's over and and is you know he's been redeemed and I think we I mean do you if I say that to you like this like I really hope and wish that Kobe has apologized to that young woman from Colorado and asked her for forgiveness would you want that like would you want that for Kobe yeah absolutely like as very shortly after that whole incident went down I would hope that that was the case and like you said no one really knows other than the the few people involved what went down there but um you kind of need to think that in order to have the image of him in your mind that everyone wants to have. And so I think a lot of us have accepted the fact that that happened, even though we don't really know that. We just, we yeah. need to believe that. Yeah. I, I guess for me, I, I, I look at the picture of him with his daughter and I see, you know, I see that's, you know, that's evidence of a family man. That's evidence of a, of a man who, you know, values the woman in his life. And for sure. Um, and I look at that and I think, man, there's a chance. Like, I can imagine him having apologized to, to that young woman in, in Colorado. I really hope he did, you know? Um, 
I, I, you know, I hope that Kobe understands what it meant to be a, a real teammate, you know, and, and, you know, do you hope that he asked for forgiveness from Shaq? Do you hope that they patched it up? Yeah, I think, yes, like, I, I hope, that. I hope, I hope all of the best aspects of Kobe came out because he didn't get the full run of it that the rest of us do to allow that to happen naturally. So yeah, I, I hope that he managed to achieve those things in his now very shortened time. Yeah, and I guess, you know, when we see the conversations he had with Shaq, I don't think he outright apologizes to him as Shaq did, like Shaq does overtly apologize and to, mm-hmm. his, to Shaq's credit. Um, and Kobe doesn't, doesn't mean it didn't happen, but I hope he does. You know, I, you know, I really hope he does. Do you think it's it's acceptable enough to say that maybe he not in the Colorado case, but in the Shaq case and and other people that um, he he butted heads with in his career? Do you think it's acceptable to say that maybe he apologized in his own way because he does have that psychotic, or he uh, unfortunately did have that psychotic mentality that only guys like Jordan, hence all the comparisons, have. So he may have literally not had it in him to grovel and you know apologize to Shaq even you know over a decade after that stuff went down he may have just physically not been able to do it do you think it's acceptable enough that he reached out and extended the olive branch I my response to that is I would hope that he did more than that I don't know whether he did or he didn't but I hope he did you know like I hope that you know we have our we have our flaws, right? We all have our flaws, and um, hopefully, our better angels lead us to kind of overcome those flaws, mm. you know, in certain situations. So I hope he did, you know. Um, it's it, it doesn't mean anything. Like he doesn't have to apologize to me, <laughs> but but I you know to me I, I I see it as a sign of redemption that he could, you know, overcome the maybe the psychotic personality and. And it's hard to achieve, you know, to divorce his achievements perhaps from the the mentality, the antisocial mentality that he that he maybe had. I don't know that the fact that he's, you know, the the the, the I don't know that the black mamba, the mamba mentality, is necessarily something to actually be celebrated. I don't, I don't, I don't think it is. I it's 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 not real. And I guess, you know, to kind of lead me to my final point, like there's. There's a lot of the Kobe experience that just has always struck me as a little bit contrived. I don't know if you ever watch him when he's sort of yucking it up with his teammates and rivals, but the laughter's kind of forced, you know? Like, every time, I don't know that I've ever seen Kobe laugh genuinely on tape. Um, you know, when he retired, he had that mumba outline, like, ready to go. Like, everything that everything was just ready to go. Mm-hmm. Um the mumba mentality thing is still it's still hard for me to take seriously um you know to to a large extent but but when i think about those free throws you know like that's that's just to me is such an undeniable noble valiant act like he completely comprehended the reality that his achilles was torn i think he probably knew that he was finished as a real force in the nba but yeah like that was just an act of just true unadulterated physical courage and it was at the expense of nobody you know there was no butt of the joke you know there was no there was no rival to humiliate it was just him against an impossible physical challenge and he stepped up and he confronted it anyway Mm. and i guess after after it all i i don't think kobe could be my could be my hero really ever but you know he could still be a champion and he was a champion and when I when I think about all of this, I'm, I'm like, I see reason to hope for redemption. And I don't know if Kobe was a good man or a bad man. But I want to believe he was a good man, and I have reason to hope. So that's my that's my take on Kobe. Timmy on uh, on Celtics Reddit, the, the great video highlight maker, Timmy, um, he posted a, a highlight reel just nine hours ago, actually, of Kobe's best... Uh, I don't know if you can call it best from the Celtics perspective, but like Kobe's biggest plays against the Celtics. And, um, and Timmy also referred to him as the, the ideal villain, the best possible villain, because right. he was ferocious and terrifying and so confident even when he came into the garden. And 
you hated him for it, but you also admired him for it. I think did, did from Timmy do his own voiceover work really... on that, Ben? <laughs> he has had a very, uh, um, shall we say, sexy sounding male voiceover uh, happening that. in some of his uh, his recent videos. Probably um, familiar though. I, I digress. Um, sticking with the Reddit side of things on Kobe, Reddit user Raj is the man writes. My second ever Celtics game I attended, Kobe hit a game winner right in Ray Allen's face. At the time, I was pretty upset. Now I feel blessed to have that memory that will stay with me for the rest of my life. Rest in peace, Kobe. You will be truly missed. Um, and, and Jeff Vaughn, a reporter, uh, reported today, as reporters do, that the NBA Hall of Fame committee will set aside the traditional election process and have selected Kobe Bryant as a first ballot Hall of Famer for 2020 posthumously. Um, which I think is appropriate. How, how are you feeling about all the sort of tributes and stuff going on around the league, like given the, the gravity that Kobe Bryant has had in the NBA world? So I guess um, I've had a little bit of experience, a little bit of exposure to death. Um, and the, the thing I've learned about it is um, people do grieve in really different ways. Um, and it's wrong, I guess, to expect people to behave in a certain way. And I think for me, the classic thing there is the numbers thing. Some guys are saying, no, I'm not going to wear it anymore in honor of Kobe. And that's fine. That's a valid response. And then some people are saying, no, I'm going to continue to wear it in honor of Kobe. Also fine. Yeah, that's what um, Kemba said today. That's right. Yeah. And, um, and so I look at some of the tributes and, and I, I think, um, I think you give people a lot of, I think just give everybody a pretty wide berth or a lot of rope, a lot, cut them a lot of slack. Sure. Um, Cause people are going to, people are going to, people are going to overextend themselves. Eventually that people, the, the truth is Kobe will be forgotten one day. He will be, we are all forgotten. You don't know who the most famous man in the world was in 1750. I guarantee you, you know, well, maybe it was, you know. They didn't have YouTube in 1750. <laughs> they, 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 they didn't. Kobe highlights, they're always going to exist, man. <laughs> but who will search them? You know, <laughs> the, the, but you know what I'm saying, though. Like, yeah, uh, yes, his, his memory will ultimately fade. And um, people in, in um, and right now, when it's very fresh, will make um, very grand proclamations about stuff. And it's, I don't, I'm not going to give him a hard time because it's just a very human response. Yeah, part of the process. Part of the process, and you you, you know you make some statement like change the NBA's logo that in a week time you might think, gee, I don't actually want to do that at all. Yeah, no, I don't um, think that's happening. No, it's it's definitely not happening. Um, <laughs> but um, but that's how I feel generally. Like the it's not a time to be super critical about people's reactions but at the same time um you know dramatic people may get a bit too dramatic um that's that's a possibility just let them i think it's okay to let people be dramatic because i think if nothing else our experiences has shown that like and it's so surprised me so surprised me that i had a genuine emotional reaction to it yeah like i would never have expected that it seems ridiculous yeah. I'm not an emotional person at all. I watch movies with my wife. She cries in the sad times. I just sit there making fun of her. Like, I don't feel anything in those moments. But, um, like, this Kobe news the other day, you know, I was sitting there. You know, my wife went out to do something, and I sat there, and I watched Kobe highlights, and I got to the final game, the 60 points, mm. and, like, uh <laughs> I, like I totally burst out into tears watching it, and they were almost like happy—not happy is the wrong word, but um, like cathartic tears, yeah, I, yeah. I suppose. Um, in that, uh, once it gets to about forty-five points in that game, uh, every new camera cut because it's a highlight package, it just cuts to Kobe with the ball, bringing the ball up um over the halfway line, and he's just—he's not even lifting up his feet. He's just so old <laughs> and could barely, barely get over half court. And then, you know, and then he just something clicks and someone will come up and set a screen for him and he'll go and make something happen and knock another shot down on his way to 60 points and just like completely blowing everyone's minds in the arena there on his last game ever. And there was already a lot of farewell Kobe sentiments as a part of that game. 
And so it was almost like appropriate to go back and rewatch that on that day. And uh, like, I just lost it, man. Not an emotional person at mm. all, but like very upset. Mm. Um, despite everything, I guess that we've just discussed um, that, you know, in that there are a lot of sides to Kobe. Um, like I'm going to miss that dude. Cause he was a huge part of the NBA experience um, that we love so much. It's why we do this podcast. We love hoops. We love the colorful jerseys and the basketball cards and the arenas and all mm. the stuff. And Kobe was a huge part of all that, a huge part of the experience. And now he's gone. Uh, it's very sad, very tragic. I, I do want to um, acknowledge, of course, he, his daughter, Gianna, uh, and the seven others who, of course, tragically passed in the accident as well. Um, you know, we talk about Kobe because this is a basketball podcast, but there are other lives that were tragically lost as well. So, um Prayers up. Yeah. I don't know what else to say. Uh, favorite Kobe moments quickly. Can we end on a, on a uh, if we can call it that, a good note before we move on? Well, obviously the, the free throws, that for me that, that was, for me that was, um, it was just the ultimate expression of valor, you mm-hmm. know, the, the, way he, yeah. um, the way he shot those free throws. But I, I was lucky enough to be at game six of the finals in 2008. Yeah, of and course. And so the only memory I have of him in person um, Man, he was on fire in the first quarter. I just, I remember that. I just remember thinking, "Oh my gosh, this dude is unstoppable." I think he had like four threes. I'd have to go and check the play-by-play. Um, and so that's sort of because it's a, the only memory I have of him in real life. Maybe that's my favorite memory. Yeah, I, the Celtics coming out of that with the the title as well is uh, a huge. Huge part of that. I, well, that I, was I probably bet. the best experience of my life. <laughs> sure. so, and Kobe was there that night. So maybe that, uh, that helps. Yeah, I, that's a far better one that I can offer. Um, I saw Kobe live in 2012. Uh, Steve Nash was already out injured at that point. Dwight Howard was on the court. Uh, it was against the Jazz. Um, I wasn't appreciating Gordon Hayward at the time. He would have been <laughs> on the court, a very young, scruffy head. Gordon Hayward, um, Kobe had a good game and he did what anyone who goes to see Kobe uh, would want them to do, which is scored a bunch of points, probably launched way, way more shots than he actually made um, and gave us all the Kobe experience. So I'm very happy for that. And I got the post-prime Dwight Howard experience as well, which is very exciting. The first Lakers tenure from uh, Dwight Howard. Um, But more seriously, the gold medal game in the 2008 Olympics versus Spain um, it's on YouTube. Like if you just type in Kobe clutch Olympics, someone's cut together all the clutch players from that game. And like, this is a, you know, a team USA, not like the team USA team that we saw late last year, but like all the greats at the time, LeBron, Mello, CP3, a good Deron Williams, um, you know, prime Dwight Howard, all these guys on, on this insanely good team USA. And, like going down the stretch there in the fourth quarter, it's so close against um, a, a Gasol brother-led Spain team, and like for that version, for that quality of a team USA team to lose uh, would be devastating for USA mm-hmm. basketball. And Kobe puts this team of mega stars on his shoulders and just completely, completely takes over the game on all ends of the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a real joy to watch because it's just him executing at the highest level and just like just bringing an insane level of energy that no other star in in the world could match at that time in 2008 it was kind of incredible to watch again today yeah i guess it sort of reminds you of where he was in the hierarchy you know I, I think it's my personal opinion that that duncan is the greatest player of that era um but kobe is by far defines it you know like Clearly defines yeah, the era. It's interesting, right? Yeah. That's about as much Kobe talk as we can muster. Uh, everything that can be said has been said, and we've just added a whole lot more to that. So um, I hope that was somewhat cathartic to you guys. Uh, it certainly has been for me, and I hope for you as well, Joe. We're going to take a very quick break. We're going to let some music run here, and we'll be back in a moment to talk some Celtics. <laughs> Alright, folks, 
folks. Welcome back. We are going to talk about the Boston Celtics on the Celtics Reddit podcast. The Celtics, I've got the score here, beat the Miami Heat 109 to 101 in a pretty impressive showing given that we were without the Time Lord um, and obviously Jason Tatum. Um, and just to get right into this, we'll start with the story of the game and then we'll break it down into, into tiny pieces. Fast start, Joe. Uh, I don't know if you were watching the game live, but they came out on like an 8-0 run um, thanks to an early three from Marcus Smart and then a bit of everything from Kemba, Gordo, and, and Jalen. Um, and that was, you know, it was kind of close scoring-wise for the rest of the game. So without that fast start out of the gates, it's like, who knows what happens. Um, beware the early lead. <laughs> we haven't been able to say that this year. That was last year's <laughs> yeah, motto. that was last year's motto. <laughs> What's this year's motto? Games are won and lost in the third. <laughs> That's They're right. Won and lost That's in right. the third. <laughs> we could have had both in this game. <laughs> Boy, if it really wasn't for the, the zone-busting ways of Shemi Ojale, which we'll get into um, in a little bit. Uh, yeah, so Celtics, they spring out of the gates, 8-0, thanks to some uh, early greatness by uh, some great, great folks on the team. The Heat throw a zone defense at us in the second quarter, and it took us basically the whole second to adjust to it again I, every time we play the heat they throw this zone defense at us and every time it happens it's like the team uh has like a, a team of researchers somewhere nearby like figuring out the zone for the first time again and figuring out how to yeah. counter the zone it's like they, they can't just be like it's a zone we see this all the time let's adjust to it it's like it takes them so long to adjust every single time it really Took does order in this case i guess there's a certain amount of small sample sizeness to this, though, and that's zones kind of naturally give up jump shots. So, um, you know, the whole this is just how I my in my simple basketball brain works. The whole the first thing you try and do when you got a zone is you try and get the ball to the nail. So, if just for uninitiated listeners, hopefully there aren't too many, but the nail is basically the free throw line, the, the very center of the free throw line. At that yeah. point, there the zone's got a the zone's got to contract. So either a, um, some you know in a in a two three, which is sort of a really common zone. Um, I was always taught that the center should pick it up, um, but often one of the guards up top has to dig down. Um, if the center comes up top, you know there's a hole under the basket, so that means that the the, the guy on the bottom of the zone and bottom wing has to cover a third. So everything has to mm-hmm. pull in, right? So you've contracted the zone. And when you contract it, you know, the ball goes back out. And that's where your, your first open shot's going to be. Um, if you just miss jump shots against the zone, even if you've correctly kind of uh, adjusted for it, it's going you, you know, it's going to be a little difficult. Um, uh-huh. and, and we can just be in a situation where we're just missing jump shots. That said, I don't like it when we get jump shot heavy. I like for us to start, you know. Like, it's like cricket, you know. We play in the V. Get your eye in, and then and then start You're thinking right. about your fancy cross exactly the line, like cross bat, horizontal bat shots. Yeah, so it's an excellent way, really, to engage all of our uh, listeners back over in, in Boston is to just <laughs> really bring it home with the, the cricket analogy. You're, it's exactly like cricket. You're absolutely right. Um, yeah, I mean, they they did have to get very jump shot heavy at first uh, in terms of countering that zone because yeah, they they get to that that zone shooter spot that you mentioned that the nail on the free throw line there. And yeah, the, the key word there is contract. You, you cause the zone defense to contract uh, away from their, their zones that they're assigned to and open up passing lanes and, and threes and, and stuff like that. And um, we're fortunate that we've got like some sneaky good mid-range shooters, certainly Gordon Hayward, uh, Jalen Brown and Kemba Walker, if they could get to that spot, were all very effective in shooting out of it. And then like very surprisingly, Shami Ojale, maybe less surprisingly, Grant Williams were all really good at playmaking out of that nail position as well. It just took us a while to to figure it out. Um, but it was exciting when we did. And then really from that point onwards, it, like even though it got close again, I think it got to within four or five points in the last two minutes of the game. Once we figured it out, I guess from early third quarter onwards, we always, it always felt like the Celtics were in control of the game. Yeah, and by the end, you know, they were back in man and, and the Celtics sort of started mismatch hunting. Um, and I, I I guess that that's not actually the version of the Celtics I like. I kind of almost wish that the Heat had stayed in the zone and um, allowed us to kind of 
keep improving <laughs> keep improving <laughs> against it. Bit of practice. Bit of practice. Wouldn't hurt. Yeah. Uh, a tweet from Brian Robb, the Celtics beat writer. He tweeted, The Celtics pulling out this road win despite the starting backcourt going a combined 8 for 32 and no Tatum is very impressive. The Heat were 21 and 2 at home before tonight. Um, and to follow that up, Adam Himmelsbach, uh, he got this quote from Jalen Brown after the game. Jalen said, I think we're getting back to Celtics basketball, how we started the year getting back to being a team that's aggressive, being a team that's coming out and looking for bodies rather than that's sitting back on our heels. I think that's the biggest difference. Great. Do, you, do you agree with that? Yeah. Oh, looking for bodies. That's a great way to put it. That's exactly <laughs> what we need to be doing. Um, I've, I'm going to start maybe tracking this, but let's be honest, I'm too lazy. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I like it when the Celtics get in there and flip and start fouling guys on the perimeter. That's what sure. I want to see. I, I, I don't want us to die wondering whether the refs are going to call fouls, you know? Mm-hmm. We need to get in there and be physical on the perimeter. And, you know, if the refs call us a few call, call a few fouls, so be it. Um, to me, we're at, we are at our most effective when we're in transition, and we get in transition most effectively when we cause turnovers. And we cause turnovers when we're, at, when we're aggressive on the ball and looking for bodies as Jalen put it. Mm. Handsy in the paint as well. That's, that's, you've got to be handsy in the paint. And like you see it, uh, obviously watch a lot more Celtics games than um, uh, games of other teams. But those games that were really generating a, a high amount of turns, turn, turns over, turnovers, you you see them like it's literally hands in the paint. Like if you, the, the vantage point that the camera angle grants us mm. um teams are you know they'll, they'll get around the perimeter defender you know uh, courtesy of a pick or whatever it might be to, to penetrate and then it seems like a lot of our guys collapse into the paint and just get hands and whatever limbs in there to prevent you know an entry pass to a big or whatever the play is going to be from the opposing team's offense and that generates us very quick turnovers we then get up the court very quickly and score handsy in the paint i think is uh is a, a, maybe a second one uh, a one a mantra for for this year. It's very very important to our team. Sounds good. Sounds good to me. Yeah. Um, Orange cookie Reddit user writes, "What a confusing team. I don't know anymore what the ceiling is. Does this recent play like change your viewpoint on what the ceiling is? Or because uh, I was I was preaching a lot about um, like a lot of the time throughout the podcast this season, the first eight games of the season for the Celtics where like Gordo was the best player on the court and he was kind of the X factor for us and everyone was kind of falling into place around him, even Kemba to some degree. Mm. And like, do you think that we're getting back there at all with the way that, that Gordo has been looking? Um, I mean, I guess I don't, I'd like to think that I didn't get too crestfallen when we went through a little swoon. Mm. Um, you know, you might be a better judge of that than me, Ben, but that's how I, I sort of felt. So I never felt that we were that bad to begin with. And I, like, I try and stick with these little 20-game chunks. Um, and, you know, after 20 games, what we were... Actually, I don't even know what we were. I don't even know what we were. 28 and 12, I think, maybe. Um, that can't be right. We're, we're a pretty good team, you know? We're, we're a good team. <laughs> Yeah. And this this recent this recent run of form hasn't done anything to suggest to me that we aren't a good team, and it hasn't done anything really to suggest that we're much better than that. I I don't regard the Heat as that good. I think they're mm. good, but I just don't think I don't think they're on our level. I certainly don't think they're on. I don't think that they're going to be the number three seed. I don't think they're on Toronto's level. Not at all. <laughs> Not at all. Yeah, I think they bring a lot of energy. <laughs> every night which might explain their record to this point like if we brought an equal amount of energy with our talent and lineup and skills every night perhaps our record would reflect that as well but i I do think our young guys take nights off and then you add the 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 gordon hayward multitude of injuries this season i I think that sort of tells the story as to why you know up until today um our record wasn't as good yeah, I think they bring a lot of luck. Health-related <laughs> uh-huh. luck. Um, Health-related luck. And look, they've won, what, eight overtime games in a row. Like, that's, mm-hmm. that's they're tenaces. They're just tenaces. They're, <laughs> they're certainly like no it. better, they're no better than the Pacers, in my view. Um, yeah, okay. And honestly, I, if I was to project where I think things will probably wind up, I think we'll probably wind up the two seed. I think the Raptors will probably wind up the three seed. 
I think that the Sixers will probably wind up the four seed. I think Heat will probably be the five seed. There you are. You heard it first. But um, yeah. So so a win over the Heat like this doesn't necessarily cause me to think, oh hey, you know, happy days are here again. You know, um, I th- <laughs> I I just don't, I don't think that we are. I think we're a flawed team. I think we're likely gonna. My view is that we're probably going to be a really tough second round out for a team. Um, and if we draw the heat, we'll probably beat them. Mm. Um, yeah. So, so th- this, this recent stretch of form has sort of done nothing to convince me of anything different than that. Okay. But would you agree, <laughs> completely changing the angle here, <laughs> that Daniel Tice is a better player today than he was at the beginning of the season? Ah. Uh... Well, is he has he been more effective than expected? Sure. Yep. Sure. But But don't you think he's improved throughout the season so far? I have no statistics in front of me to back this up, but he just he feels way more of an important part of the team now than he did in October. Oh, for sure. I, I dread the minutes where he sits. <laughs> um, yeah, especially with Cantor out or oftentimes with Cantor in as well, let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um I mean is a better Sure, he's he's maybe playing with more confidence. I think he does a great job defensively. Um, if you want to know his month by month splits, I can sort of give them to you. So we're looking at in October. Click on the draw. Yeah, in October we're looking at five and five, um, with one point three blocks. In November we're looking at seven and seven with one point six blocks. Mm-hmm. In Dece- in January we're looking at seven and five with one point five blocks. And in um and in uh, January we're looking at eleven and six with one point five blocks. So he's starting to score more frequently for sure. Um, and that's probably indicative of confidence, and that's great. That's an important thing. But you know, our big issue is still rebounding, and he's still not solving that problem. But he's um he's really great. He's a really great find. Um, and yeah, I'm surprisingly. Sure you're right about the rebounding for sure. Um, but surprisingly good as a rim protector. Like he had, uh, I think, a huge swat on Adebayo today and then a chair pull on Myers Leonard and another nearly successful attempted chair pull on, on Bam Adebayo later in the game. Um, but he's like a pro. Well, obviously, he's a pro. <laughs> but um, he's he's a... I don't want to use the word elite because that's just wrong, let's be honest. But he's a well above average paint defender in my opinion and paint finisher as sure. well to- and that's to- kind of all we need from him totally agree but not elite um and, no. <laughs> and um, i didn't use that word for a very very <laughs> very good reason yeah yeah uh, so so that's that's great look if we've got a role with, with dan tice that's fine um but if we had bam and a buyer um i'd feel a lot better game over yeah <laughs> Uh, Pedlin Pete 85 on Reddit writes, the league is so rigged. Anytime Daniel Tice steps on the court, out comes the whistle. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. How do you, I feel like he does get a bit of a tough whistle. Yes, I, I agree. There was, um, there was a, when, when we were playing the Magic, um, there was a real, ter- we're up 14-7, I remember. We're up 14-7 and um, he got, he got called for a foul. It was a total phantom foul. And the trouble is when when he catches those phantom whistles, it messes our rotation up. So that means we go to Cantor early and the Cantor minutes I mean, obviously I'm on the record as not being a huge Cantor believer. And Cantor believer. <laughs> a Cantor lever. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe it. <laughs> um sorry. Go on. I feel like my little cantilever pun slash portmanteau went a little unacknowledged, but that's all right. It probably wasn't any good. <laughs> um, but, um, but you know, I, yes, I do think he gets a rough whistle and it doesn't, re- I feel like we're particularly exposed to it. Um, it really messes with our, with our rotations and we can really struggle in the minutes that he's not on the floor. Um, I sort of on a related note, but like Grant Williams got a horrific call against him. The one that Stevens challenged, I thought was just a terrible call in the moment. Uh, I, I the get verticality the, the one. Vertical, I get that he wasn't directly straight up, but if you mm. if you've tried to put your arms straight above your head recently, you'll notice it's very very difficult unless your shoulders <laughs> are particularly flexible. Um, the only way to do yeah. it is to be like kind of eyeballing the ceiling, 
kind of shifting your pivoting your shoulders back so i felt like that ruling went really against the spirit of it um grant williams did not foul in there at all you know that was picture perfect defense so williams gets a a short uh, you know a, a tough whistle i think and um and i'm surprised that he gets such a short leash as well i don't understand mm. why you know i don't understand why he isn't given more trust um so I guess it's a Brad Stevens thing, right? Um, play rookies? Well, you've got to earn your minutes and it takes time to earn those minutes and you can be as you know promising a prospect as, as ever, as is the case with Grant Williams. But, you know, there's quote-unquote veterans like Brad Wanamaker in the team who, um, who obviously are not NBA veterans, but are veterans of the game, having played overseas professionally, um, who Brad maybe sees as more deserving of minutes, I don't think that's going to last very long. And and maybe the promising thing there, Joe, is that Brad played a, a playoff rotation today, only rolling out about eight players, and, and Grant Williams played a huge role in that playoff rotation. So maybe maybe your, your prayers are being answered as far as the leash. Hopefully, it portends what is to come. <laughs> oh man, uh, I'll pay it. I'll pay it. <laughs> Can we talk about Gordon Hayward? We're, we're 45 it. minutes in. We haven't talked about Hayward yet. Um, getting back to that game one to game eight stretch before the hand injury, in my opinion, doesn't seem like the foot is bothering him all that much. The way that he gets into the paint um, when he is aggressive Hayward, and I guess what we're celebrating here is that he's been aggressive Hayward more frequently as of late, more consistently. Mm. Uh, it always, if I was a fan of the opposing team, I would be a little bit unhappy. I feel like he maybe gets away with an extra half a step on a lot of those where like the commentators are like, Oh, Hayward keeps his pivot foot down and gets into the bucket. And I'm like, I swear his foot did not stay down. I swear that he took a third, potentially even a fourth step with another giant NBA player hanging off his shoulder um, and just slows down time and gets his shot off. And well, that last, that last kind of banker he hit is a good example of what he does. I don't know if mm-hmm. you can think of the one where he just, he takes long, so. sort of slow strides and gets gets really deep into the paint. I think his I think his footwork's good. I, may, I to be honest, Ben, I might have to look at it a little more closely now. It's not something I've kind of um, kind of been reviewing, but um, <laughs> I mean, it's obviously great because he gets away with it, right? And he <laughs> scores, and he has games like he did today. But um, it just there's a glideness to it, and I wouldn't necessarily. It's all about uh, when you gather the ball, Ben. So, yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, he's eluding me, so good for him. <laughs> <laughs> but I love it. I love to see it. Well, the whole um, thing of the hardened step back is it's it's the reason why it is legal in principle. If he doesn't necessarily always execute it correctly, but in principle, it's legal because of when he like when the ball ceases to be able to be when the dis, when the dribble is discontinued is after yeah. he's made a, a step like one a of the step. Things. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. so Hayward's possibly pulling some maybe that's part of Hayward's deceit you know maybe he's um maybe he's maybe he's not discontinuing the dribble as soon as you think he is because if mm. the ball's if the ball's in your hand and it's over and it's kind of like let's say spinning in your hand you could still dribble it again even even if you've taken even if you've taken steps while the ball's sort of suspended in your hand sure so you're saying that the Hayward move checks out. It's got the Joe stamp of approval. All, all That's I, all I'm after here. <laughs> all I can say is I haven't noticed it. It's probably okay. the best I can do. So maybe I'll have a have a look. See if I can see if I can see if I can for it. But you know, if you if you if you've it's actually a good thing for all fans to do. There's some really good stuff from Ronnie Nunn um, with B-Ball Breakdown. And mm-hmm. um, Ronnie Nunn used to be um, I think he used to be like the head official in the NBA and he says it's, it's a it's a rhythm. It's a zero one two. So count zero one two when you see guys doing stuff. Um, and if you get to three, then you've got an issue. But zero one two is okay. So zero is sort of like the pickup, the pickup, yeah. and and what, yeah, the foot that comes down as you're picking the ball up. That's your zero mm-hmm. zero. Then one two, you've got. We always fight about the difference between gather steps and travels when I play like pickup hoops. So clearly, I just need to preload some Hayward clips onto my phone and uh and and use that as an example anytime i get called for a travel <laughs> zero one two um just back to hayward in this yeah, game very quickly. yeah and, I, and I, I do I some hayward it, points so you go for yours <laughs> well i i mean i've pretty much um i've pretty much echoed them all just that I, i'm loving the aggression 
I'm loving that he seems to be back to his beginning of season form. Um, part of me wonders if Tatum being out has anything to do with that and what that's going to look like when Tatum does come back. Um, but overall, I'm happy and I, I just want to keep seeing it. I don't want to see it in these little micro stretches. I want to see it for 10, 20 games heading into April. He, I, I think the Tatum thing's a bit of a red herring. He gets ample minutes with the second unit. And what happens with the second unit? And I'm going to give Hayward a wee bit of a spray here. Sometimes <laughs> I just think he needs a. I think he needs a bullet up his backside. Sometimes, when when he's when he does his thing where he dribbles and he penetrates roughly to the free throw line and kicks it out to a three point shooter, that might be the right basketball play if he's playing with a whole lot of other people who are equivalent to him. When he's playing with guys who are when he's kicking it to Javante Green, that is not actually helping us get. That is not helping the Boston Celtics, okay? That is not the same as kicking it to Kemba Walker. When he's got, when he's got, you know, when he's running with a second unit, his responsibility is to establish himself as a scorer. And he is sometimes just not doing that. And I understand where he's coming from because we're coached to sort of make the easy play. But Gordon Hayward gets paid $30 million because he's really good at putting the ball in the hole. And we actually need that from him in those minutes. We don't need him to play facilitator. You know, he, he actually needs to do his flipping job there, to be mm. honest. Um, and, and, you know, not that Gordon Hayward's ever going to hear this. But <laughs> <laughs> but on behalf of, of all Celtics fans, yeah, the right basketball player isn't always the right basketball player, right? When he's out there, we need him to be thinking score first. We don't need him to think, draw one defender, kick it over to Javante Green for the three. That's not going to be a better outcome for us than Hayward looking to assert himself as a scorer. He needs to get one durable deeper in the paint. First of all, I'm going to ignore the blatant diss on Javante Green there, Joe. Um, but <laughs> Sorry, uh, sorry Javante, who might listen to the podcast. Also, also big, big-time <laughs> listener of the show. Uh, Gordon shouts, Hayward, shouts. I, I don't know if he's always been a score-first player. Even with Utah, I feel like he was pretty drive and dish. He was a, like a sort of a... Um, a LeBron light That's in his fine in his when style. you're dishing it to Joe Ingles. That's fine <laughs> when you're dishing it to I don't know who else. All time legend Joe Ingles, <laughs> yeah. Ultimate Aussie Joe Ingles. <laughs> it's not yeah. fine with the bench unit for the Boston Celtics. Mm. I hear, you. like I, hear you. I know that's his game. That's not the job here. He's, mm. he's got a different job. He's got to recognize that. So I wonder if then Tatum, who has been filling in that role uh, with Hayward sort of in and out of the lineup. Tatum's been first guy back in with the bench beginning of the second quarter, like sort of the one remaining starter, if you will, um, leading that second unit. I wonder if maybe Tatum holds onto that role because maybe he's been a little bit more successful because he is a little bit more score first in that sense. Well, the on-off splits would seem to indicate that, right? Yeah, the eye test would as well. Yeah. Yeah, and and the, the, the irony is, of course, like, Tatum, Tatum is a much less complete sort of basketball player than, than Hayward, in my view. But um, at at this point in his career, you know, but um, yeah, he sort of seems to be more effective. I mean, it's really bearing out, you know. Um, Tatum is a very effective basketball player. Agreed. Now we are running out of time, so we're going to very quickly run through the rest of these points. We would be remiss not to discuss Jalen Brown in some fashion, given that he was part of the incredible beating of the heat experience for the Celtics and their fans tonight. Um, Very, very strong first quarter in particular from Brown. And then he came back in at some point in the second and he dropped like seven points in a minute and four seconds. A lot of his shots weren't even hitting the rim. It was just the... It was like he he had one last burst to maybe try and get voted in as an all-star reserve, which we are going to get to um, by by the coaches there. Um, And Do you see anything different from Jalen Brown tonight that you haven't seen lately, or what were your overall thoughts on Jalen Brown in this one? Um, You know, Jalen's box score... Jalen is quite consistent, really, and he could consistently does things that I really like at this point and consistently does some things that derive me crazy. Like the um, five turnovers? The turnovers. Oh, that last one was so bad. Mm. It was so bad. He's, he's, he's not, you know, 
Jalen's going to be a really good player, and I think he's done better. I've just said Tatum's a very effective player, but I think Jalen's been better in his role this year, if that makes any sense. Like, Tatum's by far a better overall player and has much more of an impact on winning for us. Um, but Jalen, with what the role that he's been assigned to, you know, he's taken a much more easier course and he's gotten an, you know, he's gotten, gotten an A, and Jason Tatum's taken a much more difficult course and gotten an A minus, if, if that makes any sense. Um, I sort of see there's so many things that still drive me nuts about him, but look, I'm happy he's on our team and he's doing well. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, there's just something about him that just doesn't quite like. I just there's something about his instincts that just aren't quite a hundred percent there. You know, um, there's something about his makeup that isn't quite superstar. And I'm fine with his contract. He's not being paid like a superstar. Um, but um, I'll be a little nervous about that third contract on the basis of what I've seen from him over the four years. Yeah, well, fortunately, we've got a little bit of time to, to sort of take the temperature there with, <laughs> yeah. with Jalen yeah. Brown, I suppose. Cool. <laughs> uh, a lot of time, let's be honest. Um, yeah, and, you know, he's young. I, I hear exactly what you're saying. Uh, there, there seem to be, like, just some mental lapses or something there for, for Jalen Brown where, like, he can't, pilot his like insanely well-built mech warrior of a body <laughs> as well as you would like him to um but you know with a bit more age a bit more maturity a bit more experience under his belt maybe you can he can do something about that but uh very good tonight regardless so very very good to see um and of course like we quoted up the top um he came out of that game talking about how the celtics played a lot more sort of early season celtics basketball uh, which was great to see. Um, I did grab the most controversial comment from the post-game thread, something that I have been committing to do over the last couple of weeks. I'm not going to read out the user's name, but they wrote, love to see the aggression from Hayward, but goddamn, we need a more reliable big than Tice. Um, that's about as controversial as it gets, I suppose, <laughs> after a, a, a solid win uh, and a, a decent road trip. I feel like we can kind of write off the Pelicans game given the very somber mood on the day and that, you know, really the difference there kind of felt like the Pelicans had their home crowd to sort of carry them through that one where, whereas we didn't. Um, the big man argument has died down a little bit just to touch on this, you know, supposedly controversial comment very quickly. Um, I'm happy with Tice. I'm happy with Cantor coming in and, and filling in for all the things that Tice isn't good at off the bench and I'll be really happy when Time Lord comes back and we can sort of pick our poison yeah, there as, as I far really as... Ho- I really want to see what we've got with him, eh? Mm. Yeah. We had something good going there for a little while and his passing was starting to come along really well. Um, but to speak to this comment here, like I just... We can't really do anything about the big man situation. Like we can bring in other flawed, cheap big men, but yeah. other than a little bit more size, like I don't, I don't think there's a... A problem that we can solve this season. I agree. I agree. I think we're. I think we're just. We're just stuck with what we've got. Um, and I, you know, Ryan Bernardoni's posed a posed a few different trade sort of scenarios, but I just sort of feel like we're probably going to stand pat. That's my. That's my sense. Now, some missed points to get to before we wrap this one up. Uh, Marcus Smart defended his ass off in this game as he often does. Shot poorly, but huge Marcus Smart like plays late he skied for a late offensive rebound to kind of give us one more possession to to hold on to the lead uh for the rest of the game uh a block and a huge three with about a minute and 50 seconds remaining where he sort of backpedaled kind of like ray allen i want to say but at the top of the key rather than in the corner same sort of backpedaling clutch three-pointer obviously much lower stakes um but it was great to see marcus smart he's he's the king of the moment and even though he'd been Pretty terrible for the most part, shooting wise. Um, he knew we needed that in this game, and and he really put it out of uh, out of reach there for the heat. So Marcus Smart is a champion. I, I completely agree. Raw must <laughs> I hope that we make him a champion. I do too. We touched on Shami Ojale before making some great plays out of the zone in this game. His passing, I thought that we talk about like often when we run through the list of players after games, we ask like, what did you see from them? that we haven't seen so far. And there was an element to Shemi's passing game that we haven't really seen a lot. I do feel like he's also starting to knock down that corner three 
a lot more consistently than he was early in the season where like a lot of us, myself included, would like trade this guy, trade him while he still has value. And since then, we've seen at least one good uh, like defensive performance on Giannis. Um, and today, a whole bunch of great passes out of the zone, which is awesome. Yeah. Didn't know he could do that. Well, I, I'm, a, I'm a semi-believer as an NBA. A semi-believer. I'm a full <laughs> believer in semi as, a, as an NBA player. Um, I'm not sure that it's going to be with us. Um, but I think he really can do it. Um, so I'm happy to see it happen. I, I think one of the things that he has provided us with, and I think we've talked about it in, in a previous pot, I'm trying to remember, but it sort of feels like he'll go at least go one for three every game, you know, which is so much better than going zero for three, zero for three, zero for three, three for three, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, you can sort of rely on him for a bucket each game. Yeah. And, um, and I guess that it sort of just keeps keeps the scoreboard ticking over, you know? And and that, that has a really important um that has a really important effect on the psychology of the team. You know, when, when someone on the bench just is means that there's no bleeding or stops the bleeding, stops a run, keeps the scoreboard ticking over. Much like Chris Harris in the mid to late nineties for the black caps. <laughs> <laughs> that that uh, reference is even lost on me. I have to say, I do not know who Chris Harris is, <laughs> well, but uh, I'm sure he was a dead set legend. Well, I, it was the only guy that wouldn't fold like a cheap suit against Australia. Mm. <laughs> uh, I don't know about that. Uh, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> we touched on Grant Williams earlier. User Intergalactic Wizard wrote, "I'm confident putting Grant in a playoff game. He's just ridiculously smart on both sides of the ball." Uh, Joe, it sounds like from what you were saying about Grant Williams earlier, you you believe in him. You you believe in him in a in a playoff situation. Oh, Do you hope sure. to see him in the playoffs later this year? For sure, for sure, for sure. I think he's. Um, I think Grant Williams. Grant Williams as a player. Yeah, mm. man, he's he's Marcus Smart, but slightly taller and slightly less physical. But he does so many good things. Like he um, like he man, he really stuck with Aaron Gordon like in that Magic game. Mm, sure. Um, you know, I I think. Yeah, like I say, just I don't understand why he doesn't get a little more rope because I really think we're at our, often at our best with him at the five. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, yeah, I look forward to seeing him hitting a lot more threes and um, and and being more aggressive. Mm. Agreed. Very very impactful. Now we we're gonna wrap this one up in like five minutes, but very quickly. The All-Star game, the reserves for said game will be revealed on Thursday. I think Friday, if you're in this part of the world. Joe, we know that Kemba is a starter. Do you think that at this point, Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum are in with a chance to be a reserve? Or do you think there's too much talent elsewhere in the Eastern Conference? Oh, I think Tatum will make it. I think, mm-hmm. and he deserves it, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, if you're a co- something that Scalabrine, I think Scalabrine, you see this is, is like, man, Teams are guarding Tatum like he's a guy, you know, uh-huh. and that sure. that's you know that says it all to me. Like he's um he is a guy, you know. Mm. So, so he's an all star player. The seven available spots: Beal, Simmons, Lowry, Middleton, Butler. Then it kind of drops off a little bit, like Zach Levine, Brogdon, Dinwiddie, and Adebayo. I think that Tatum slots in around that sort of Middleton, Jimmy Butler range sure. like I, I think that Beal and Simmons and probably even Larry are more deserving um, but he's certainly in like the top five or six of, of that list of seven yeah, or so yeah. players there yeah. Yeah. I think he'll just make it it's exciting I'm excited for him I hope it doesn't uh, give him too big of a head because <laughs> I feel like he's a little prone to that but um, we'll see now Maybe that's the reason up- for the headband it's a it's sort of a corset for his head <laughs> <laughs> compression garment <laughs> for the ego spanks spanks for the ego <laughs> um celtic schedule in the next week very quickly the warriors in boston on thursday night the Sixers on saturday in the garden and beat is back for that one and then the hawks in atlanta on Monday. I think the Warriors and the Hawks are uh, are kind of a given at this point. So let's focus on the Sixers game. Saturday night, bunch of drunken Boston fans and beat is back in the building. Uh, I think our last chance as well to beat them this season, uh, other than the playoffs. Um, how are you feeling about that one, Joe? I think they've got our number. <laughs> you, don't, you don't think we're going to have like a last hurrah, like a, a, a last stand? Drive oh, it's them so, back to it's totally possible. Totally possible. But if, if you want to know what I think will happen, I think we'll lose to them. <laughs> um, 
Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. I expect us to go two and one. Um, although last week, and I should be careful what I said. I said last week, I said, look, I think we're going to go three and zero. But if we have to mm. lose one, I'd rather it be to the Pelicans. Yeah. Yay, verily, we lost to the Pelicans. Look out. Mm. Um. So this week, this week, no, I think two and one. I think um, mm. that's that's what I think will happen. But very, very, very clearly, you know, I think we can compete with Philadelphia, and I look forward to the game. Likewise. Mm. All right, we're well, well over time. If you're still listening, thank you for sticking with us. That's definitely going to do it for this one. Uh, thanks for tuning in. If you like what you're hearing and you want to support the show, please subscribe, rate, tell your friends, get your mates on board. Uh, and you can find us on Twitter at Celtic Pod. Thanks again, Joe. Love your work, mate. Thanks, Ben. Appreciate it. Sweet. Until next time, go Celtics. Peace. Peace.